Anthony here in Austin, Texas. We'll talk about the first day of the March for Democracy from Georgetown to Austin. They were from Georgetown to Round Rock today. We'll hear from some of the marchers, including Beto O'Rourke, who marched the entire time. Also on today's show, we'll talk to uh, Olympian John Carlos about protests in the Olympics and also get his thoughts on uh, Simone Biles uh, pulling out of uh, the overall competition after pulling out the team competition, citing uh, mental health. A lot of conservatives, especially white men, have been attacking her, calling her weak. Yeah, we got a few words uh, to say about them. And if y'all have not seen uh, Reese Colbert's video blasting Piers Morgan, you might want to take a look at that one. Uh, Also on today's show, uh, the infrastructure bill. Apparently there's a deal on Capitol. Yeah, we'll see. Not sure. Also, the CDC uh, reinstitutes a mask mandate. A lot of people are not happy. They're frustrated and upset. We'll break that down. Plus, you will hear from a five-year-old girl who is a huge fan of Roland Martin Unfiltered. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. We're here on the campus of Houston Tillerson University uh, in Austin, Texas. Uh, Got to thank them for the hospitality. We were going to do the show from a Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church in Round Rock, Texas. That's where uh, today's March for Democracy uh, ended up. They started at Christ Lutheran Church in Georgetown, and they walked uh, about eight miles to uh, Good Hope. Uh, but uh, we pretty much finished there at 11.45. Uh, we will be, of course, we're live streaming on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Then I said, well, you know what? Let's do the show from uh, Houston Tillerson. So, well, we put in a phone call, and they certainly uh, accommodated us, and so uh, we're here on the campus. And so in a moment, we're going to talk with the president of uh, Houston Tillerson. But first, uh, here is uh, what we took earlier today, of course, today's march uh, here in Georgetown. Uh, what they did was they had multiple shifts of people who were, who, were, who were protesting, who were marching. There were some people who were marching today. There are others who are going to be on Thursday, others who are on Friday. Uh, so today was uh, the first day. Folks, if y'all have that video, please roll that. Uh, you actually uh, be able to see uh, what took place. We were streaming that today uh, on Roland Martin Unfiltered. We were streaming that. Uh, and so it was an opportunity for you to actually uh, see uh, what took place. Uh, there is Reverend Dr. William J. Barber uh, at the kickoff uh, of the march. Uh, right now, uh, I'm playing for my iPad. Go to my iPad, please. Uh, video of us uh, actually marching uh, in the streets. Uh, police escort uh, in Georgetown and Round Rock uh, as well. Uh, and so, uh, as I said, our cameras uh, were there uh, uh, streaming all of this. If you want to see uh, the full uh, uh, march today, just simply go to our YouTube channel. Uh, go to our YouTube channel. 
go to our YouTube channel to actually check it out, youtube.com forward slash uh, Roland S. Martin. So, uh, you know, these were the folks uh, who were out there. Uh, we, had an we had an opportunity, we had an opportunity to uh, talk to several of the protesters, uh, and one of them, uh, Beto O'Rourke, of course, who ran for the United States Senate. He's a former congressman uh, from El Paso, had an opportunity uh, to chat to chat with him, to chat with him uh, with regards to uh, with regards to uh, today's protest and why the march matters, why the march matters, and so I want to I want to play that for you right now. Uh, that interview. Uh, come back to me, folks. So I can set the interview up, please. Thank you. Switch back to me. Thank you very much. Okay, so I, I got to set the uh, interview up uh, with Beto here. Uh, we were um, running the gun in here, and so I need to set it all up. Uh, and then here's our discussion with Beto O'Rourke. Look, I'm, I'm out here. Literally following the lead of, of Bishop Barber, the Poor People's Campaign, the organizers who, who helped to put this together, marching from Georgetown to Austin, Texas, to make sure that we are fully in this fight for the right to vote. Um, it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be one on its own. Uh, we're not going to have the the president ma magically ride to the rescue. We got to push him. We got to push the the folks in the Senate, and we got to push our fellow Americans to get this done. That's that's how. That's how we got civil rights and voting rights passed in 64 and 65. That's how we're going to get the For the People Act passed today. We don't have the iPad. So hold on one second, folks. Uh, let, let's go ahead and get this straight. I want to reset this here. Uh, so we're supposed to have the uh, federal work interview. Do y'all have now have it? We have it. It's a lobby. Following the lead of, of Bishop Barber, the Poor People's Campaign, the organizers who have helped to put this together, Marching from Georgetown to Austin, Texas. Okay, all right, then. So I'm going to hold that, okay? So there's, we have an issue in the control room uh, with that. And so let me go ahead and just uh, just hold tight uh, with that uh, for a second. I'll pull that up uh, in a moment. I wanted to be bringing my panel right now. Then we'll get that straight. A. Scott Bolden, he's the former chair of National Bar Association, political, political action committee, Robert Patillo, executive director of the Rainbow Coalition Peach Tree Street Project. Uh, glad to have uh, you both, uh, gentlemen. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Robert, you're going to be joined tomorrow by Reverend Jesse. Jackson Sr., uh, who will be here uh, in Austin. Uh, other Rainbow Push folks who are already here. Reverend Jackson's in uh, Arizona on Sunday for the protest outside the offices of, 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 of Senator Christian Cinema. Uh, and so, uh, to just talk about again uh, the need and the constant pressure being applied, being applied, uh, how vital that is to get the people in Washington to pay attention and to pass the Rainbow People Act as well as the John Lewis Voting Act. As they work their way from Texas on to uh, Washington, D.C., uh, our national field director, uh, Tavis Grant, has been doing great work on this uh, this front. And the reason it's important is because the national media seems to have the attention span uh, of a squirrel sometimes. They get distracted <laughs> by every single other thing, and they keep forgetting that the right to vote is dispositive of every other right. You don't have an infrastructure bill if you do not have an empowered voting rights set. You do not have uh, a uh, January 6th commission without an empowered voting rights uh, act. Indeed, do not have a Democratic majority in the House and the Senate and the White House without an empowered voting rights act. So when we're seeing these assaults across the nation, 43 uh, uh, states which are introducing voter suppression bills, where you're looking at what happened in Texas, what's happened in Georgia, the only and final backstop is going to be the federal government. And we do not work 
can put everything that we have into passing this legislation, uh, well, then it's going to be a fait accompli when it comes to 2022 and 2024. Republicans have learned how to win uh, on the margins, how to win without having a majority. They lost by 8 million votes last year. They lost by 3 million votes the year before. They haven't won the popular vote in 17 years. They represent 40 million, 41 million fewer people in the United States Senate than Democrats do. They are not trying to have more people vote. It's not in their best and pecuniary interest. And as America becomes blacker and browner and they lose political power, they're going to do everything they can to hang on um, to power in whatever ways they can. And this is why Reverend Jackson and so many others across the nation are imploring our Senate to make this a number one primary issue, to ensure that if nothing else gets passed, this gets passed, because we will not be able to have any other parts of the agenda without this, uh, without these protections for the right to vote. So it's crucial for all of us to keep the heat on both the Democrats and the Republicans, because Democrats seem to get amnesia often when they get into office about who brought them there and ensure this legislation gets passed. Scott Bolden, uh, your thoughts again on uh, what we're seeing down here in Texas and the impact that it could have in D.C. Well, I, I think black people are leading on this. Black women who got arrested last week, I represent Court Masters Barry. Uh, we see black people in Texas and the moral uh, uh, resurrection marchers. But I think, uh, Roland, my thoughts I share with your thoughts over the past weekend when you talked about building a coalition of people who are outraged at voter suppression. I see a lot of black people protesting, but where are my white Democratic and Republican friends, as you say? Where are my gay Democratic and Republican friends? Because this voter suppression affects our democracy that affects everyone, if you will. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think that a coalition uh, folks other than black people need to go out and get arrested. They need to take time and be marched because clearly the Biden administration, while they're doing infrastructure and while they're doing their economic development plan and they're cutting deals, but not enough with Joe Manchin uh, or Cinema. But but we need to make him do more with Manchin and Cinema. Make him do more to get this Voting Rights Act peace passed. We we keep letting them off the hook. And I think we're at a point now where we not, we have to put it to them and demand that folks that don't look like the three of us get out here and protest, get out here and vote, and tell us that it matters. Because when we win, America wins. And we shouldn't be the only ones leading the fight on voter suppression. I think that was very powerful this past weekend on what you said. And uh, I've been repeating it over and over again uh, since you went on national TV and started demanding more participation from Democrats and Republicans who don't look like us. I want to bring in now Dr. Colette Pierce uh, Burnett, who is the president and CEO of Houston Tillerson University. Uh, they are, of course, uh, hosting us here uh, on campus, and I certainly appreciate that. Uh, glad to have you uh, here. Uh, first and foremost, uh, there's a lot of drama obviously happening in the state capitol. Uh, uh, you have the folks who, who are leading this effort who are protesting. Just, just talk about... Um, um, why that matters, the level of activation, the level, the level of political um, uh, organization, organizing, mobilizing we're seeing. Uh, for some reason, we're not getting her. So hold on one second. Let's get this microphone fixed. 
Sarah, go ahead and talk. Hopefully we'll get you now. So as a... Are y'all getting her now? As... Thank you. Uh, go ahead. As the president of Historic Black College, um, we instill in our students that you need to be good citizens, um, understand your civil rights, understand who you are as, a, as an individual. So for this to be happening right now, that they see a movement in place, that's inspiring to me. Speak about uh, on campus uh, how, I mean, obviously y'all have been impacted by COVID, uh, and so uh, are you bringing students back uh, in the fall? Sure. And, and I would assume that uh, when they come back, uh, they, they, they might be uh, engaged in what's happening uh, on the state capitol. They definitely will. Uh, we actually have a cadre of students who have been engaged even though we've been virtually. Um, Mr. Clements, who one of my students we'll be talking to later, my NAACP chapter, since I've been at the institution in 2017, we reactivated our NAACP student chapter. And they've had voting as their primary mantra from the very beginning. Uh, we voted together as a campus, walking to the polls together as a campus. So they've been energized about that. And even while we were on break, they stayed continue to see engagement from the perspective at the state level. Um, now, obviously, I'm going to come back to, to the voting March issue with our, uh, our panel here, uh, but um, talk about how you have had uh, to lead uh, this university in this very difficult uh, time. I've, I've had other university presidents on. Uh, they say this has probably been the most, the biggest challenge they've ever faced uh, in their university presence. That's very true. Probably in my professional life, uh, three of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make have been in the last 18 months. The first one was closing the residence halls and sending students home because of the pandemic, where we are their home in many cases. They're home away from home, a safe space for many of our students. So that was hard. The second one was postponing commencement because commencement is a rite of passage. We graduate families, not individuals. So to have to postpone that rite of passage is a very hard decision. I want to emphasize postponement because we are having our our commencement celebrations uh, with Faye Jemison as our commencement speaker on August the 7th for both the class of 2020 and the class of 2021. So it's a dream no longer deferred for our students because walking across that stage is, is a rite of passage, particularly at APC. It's a graduation and a commencement. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I think I've done... I think I've done 18 uh, commencements, uh, 14 at HBCUs, uh, five honoraries, going through all the numbers. And it's interesting because for a number of them, uh, the, the president, they stand up, they talk about how this is a solemn occasion, and I'm just, and I get them like, man, the hell it <laughs> the is. No, I mean, because it, it, it sort of drives me crazy when these folks, uh, no, a gra graduation, I mean, it, look. It's a celebration. Right, so I, I, they kill me with that, you know. Our pomp and circumstance. The pomp and circumstance, <laughs> and I hate that graduation song, so I, I, I so I, I hate, I don't even know the name of that damn song, I can't stand it. So that's why when I do it, I, I make the band. Do, play something funky. Uh, they got a choir, make them sing. Don't give that choral crap. Give me a give me a gospel song. Then when I did uh, Virginia uh, State, they didn't have the band or the choir, so I just pulled one of Grandis out. I said, yo, yo who in y'all class can sing? Because I, I was like, y'all, we I, I can't do I can't do the board graduation. Can't do that. Well, our graduation is not boring. It is truly a celebration. Uh, we have five thousand people on this campus. Okay. Um, it's a celebration. So that was hard for me as the president to have to 
take that away from us. How how is your enrollment? Um, we're at about we're at, we're doing okay so far. Um, we we watch our enrollment, we track it very closely, and we're doing okay. We did have a, a minimal impact um, because of COVID, obviously, like most institutions of higher education. But we took a minimal impact. We worked really really hard to keep our students engaged during that process. We provided everybody with the tablet. We sent hotspots for people. I learned very quickly that the internet is not a utility. Everybody doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. We provided hotspots and did a massive fundraising campaign. So, and we had no furloughs, no layoffs. So my campus really pulled together. I'm, I'm very proud of that. Uh, it's been tough. Uh, speaking of fundraising, in the wake of the death of George Floyd, uh, a number of black organizations or HBCUs have seen uh, a significant increase uh, in giving. Uh, have you experienced that in the wake of George Floyd's death? Not to the magnitude of some of my sister and brother institutions, um, but www.htu.edu can give. We okay, say, first of all, first of all, you went way too fast. If you're gonna get, if you're gonna get that website it. asking for I'm money, you got to do that slow I, so that everybody get that. I'm going to um, go very slow, um, and I want to add that we're an investment, not a charity. When people give to the university, you're really investing in the future. We call our students the genius generation because they are geniuses and they deserve the best. So it's www.htu.edu to invest in this until so there is a, a button there that you can click easily to give to the institution. Uh, we're, we're very, very proud. We're Austin's oldest institution of higher learning, which I just love to say because we are older. So, so older than that, uh, than that, 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 that little campus up there. Exactly. See, being a Texas A&M graduate, we don't acknowledge that, that, little, that, that, little, that little university up there. So we, we were founded in 1875, 10 years after Juneteenth. That just speaks to the, um, the the campus's grit, the resilience, and the beauty and the academic excellence that perseverance for us. And I'm very, very proud of that. All right. Well, sounds good. Uh, you got to go because you got to uh, you got to go have dinner with a donor. Exactly. So go on get, so so in the words in the words of. Uh, Frank Lucas, American Mac Gangster, go and get that money. Go and get that money. Go and get that money. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I Honor appreciate it. The way you do. I appreciate it. Thanks so very much. Thank you, sir. All right, then. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, again, uh, uh, we're here on the campus of the Houston Tennessee University uh, in Austin, Texas. That was President uh, Dr. Colette Pierce Burnett, President and CEO of Houston Tillerson. Uh, do we have uh, our video figured out? I want to. I want to go to our uh, Beto O'Rourke uh, interview. Uh, so let me go ahead and uh, and, and, and get that uh, ready. And so again, earlier today we were participating uh, in the March for Democracy, live streaming that whole deal, uh, and we talked with Beto as well as a bunch of other folks out there. Here uh, is that conversation. Look, I'm I'm out here literally following the lead of, of Bishop Barber, the Poor People's Campaign, the organizers who've, who've helped to put this together, marching from Georgetown to Austin, Texas, to make sure that we are fully in this fight for the right to vote. Um, it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be one on its own. Uh, we're not going to have the, the president ma magically ride to the rescue. We got to push him. We got to push the, the folks in the Senate and we got to push our fellow Americans to get this done. That's that's how that's how we got civil rights and voting rights passed in 64 and 65. That's how we're going to get the For the People Act passed today. So that's what this march is all about. Fifty years ago, since you had, you know, any really big change in voting rights, um, what do you say? Like, I mean, there's a lot of Americans out here that think that this fight is kind of localized. Well, I'll tell you, I was just talking with Eugene about this. 
the, the day you win that victory on August 6, 1965, is the day that the fight really begins. Because ever since then, you know, people have been trying to withdraw the right to vote and to restrict who can vote and whether your vote is even counted at all. And it's, it's come to a point where we're, we're really about to lose our, our democracy. Um, that's why we're out here. And we're, not, we're, we're doing this for, for ourselves, each and every single one of us, for our families, for the generations who follow, for the grandkids who will look back on us and say, when, when all of this was under attack, what did you do? And everyone here is going to be able to say, you know what? I marched, I fought for it, and ultimately we won. So that's, that's what we're doing. That's what it's going to take, and that's why this fight is so important. And what's next from here? We're going to keep marching over these next couple of days, and then it's so important that anyone who's interested in being part of this fight join us in Austin, Texas, this Saturday at 10 a.m. in front of the state capitol. That's where we're going to rally in large numbers and make sure that we're heard in the nation's capital. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, that was uh, Beto O'Rourke, of course, a uh, former um, U.S. Senate candidate, former congressman from uh, El Paso. Uh, there was a brother who was with a group called Pure Justice out of Houston, uh, and we had an opportunity to catch up with him uh, as well uh, during the march. Uh, you know, there, there may come a day when they take our rights and, and, and run over us, but, but today's not their case. Uh, today, they, they got a rude awakening. We're marching through the streets of Georgetown and Round Rock and Huddle and everywhere else uh, to lift our voice and let it be known that we ain't letting nobody turn us around. All right. All right. Again, first name, last name? Greg Norwood. Your title of justice? Member. Okay. Yes, All right. The Maystown? Yes, sir. Right, we're high school. High school? From Houston? Yeah, no, I'm not from Houston. I'm from Milwaukee. Oh, really? Those of us from Houston ask that question. Go to high school. Oh, right, 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 right. No, 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 no. First of all, you got the right color. You got the jackets. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's right. I knew, I knew it was coming. No, I ain't from there. I ain't there. From there. That's right. I ain't mad, though. I ain't mad. That was uh, one of the uh, that was one of the marchers there, and so we had uh, uh, a really good time uh, talking with people, chatting with them, uh, getting their thoughts and perspectives uh, on voting. Now, remember, tomorrow's going to be day two. We're going to pick up there in Round Rock. We're going to come all the way uh, to North Austin. We have day three on Friday. We'll be live streaming all those days, and of course, we'll be live streaming uh, on Saturday as well. Uh, the rally at the Texas State Capitol. Uh, the hashtag is March for Democracy. Follow us there. Of course, you can also follow us via a hashtag Roland Martin Unfiltered. You've got to go to current commercial break. We come back. Uh, more news of the day. Infrastructure bill on Capitol Hill. We'll talk with Olympian John Carlos about uh, athletes in protest. Also get his thoughts on uh, Simone Biles uh, pulling out of uh, another competition in the Olympics, citing uh, mental health. And what's up with all the criticism against her for making a decision that impacts her well-being? All of that next, Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Houston Tennessee University here in Austin, Texas. You from having living wages are the same folk that wouldn't fix your utilities, bro. In this 
this time when our voting rights are under attack and economic justice is being denied. We're launching a season of nonviolent moral direct action to demand four things by August the 6th, the 56th anniversary of the signing of the Voting Rights Act. Number one. End the filibuster. Number two. Pass all provisions of the For the People Act. Fully restore the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Yeah. Yes. And number four, raise the federal minimum wage to $15. Pass the For the People Act. That is the, the last best hope for voting rights, not just in Texas, but Georgia, and Florida, and about a dozen other states. Pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill and the For the People Act. Let our people vote. The Latinx community is the rising electorate in Texas, and our representatives are threatened by these shifting demographics. Our pathway to citizenship to a living wage depends on our access to the ballot. This is not just a black issue. That's right. This is a moral, constitutional, and economic democracy issue. Poverty is reinforced by public policy. And what happens in Texas, uh, as well as in America, we create policies that perpetuate poverty, and then we criminalize the poverty that we create. There's only so much we can take, and it's time for us to, to stand up and speak loudly against what's happening here. I think in Texas that it is time for a Selma-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think we ought to run from Georgetown to Austin. And we ought to come to Austin, but we ain't coming to Austin just for Austin. We come to Austin to save the Washington, D.C. Which side are you on? And don't tell us you can't do all of this. You must do all of this for the soul and the heart of this democracy. Forward together. Forward together. Forward together. Hello, I'm Nina Turner. My grandmother used to say, all you need in life are three bones. The wishbone to keep you dreaming, the jawbone to help you speak truth to power, and the backbone to keep you standing through it all. I'm running for Congress because you deserve a leader who will stand up fearlessly on your behalf. Together, we will deliver Medicare for all. Good jobs that pay a living wage and bold justice reform. I'm Nina Turner, and I approve this message. I believe that people our age have lost the ability to focus... campus of Houston Tillerson University. Uh, this is, of course, uh, is an aerial shot uh, of the campus. Uh, and uh, we're located here uh, in Austin, Texas. Glad to be here. And so you'll see for a second exactly where we are set up. We're set up right in front of the University Bell Tower. And so glad uh, to be here uh, to uh, do the show from here uh, and uh, do Roland Martin Unfiltered and give folks a sense of Houston Tillerson. A little bit later, we're going to be talking to one of the students uh, here with the NAACP chapter uh, at Houston Tillerson. All right, folks, uh, let's talk about uh, what's happening on Capitol Hill, where supposedly there is uh, an infrastructure agreement, a bipartisan agreement. This is what uh, has been a huge priority for President uh, Joe Biden. He has been uh, working with Republicans and Democrats to pass to, be, to, to get this agreement but you already have Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema, who says she 
doesn't support the bill. So the question is, uh, is it actually going to happen? Ralph Patillo, I want to start with you. So much attention being put on here. The White House has made this a priority, an infrastructure bill. But you've got Republicans who aren't trying to play uh, any ball, any ball whatsoever with Democrats. Well, you know, it's the oddest thing because I feel like every single week during the Trump administration was infrastructure week. We've been talking about doing a large, massive yeah, absolutely. For four years. Bill. For four years, yeah, four yes. Years. And even during the Obama administration, we talked about infrastructure. Let's, let's understand the last time we really invested in infrastructure was the Eisenhower administration and the creation of the national highway system. Eisenhower during World War II saw the Autobahn in Germany and realized we needed something like that in America because in the wars going forward, we need an ability to transport military hardware um, across the nation at an expeditious rate. And, then, and then also we need emergency airfields and uh, those sorts of things. And that was impetus behind the national highway system. But let's understand, if you take a flight from LaGuardia or JFK and you land in Abu Dhabi or Dubai, you realize how far behind we are when it comes to infrastructure. If you look at our roads and bridges and the collapses that take place, if we look at the seaside condo collapse down in Miami and realize how old most of the infrastructure in this country is. It is a national security risk, it is a health risk, uh, it is a uh, damaging to the environment. If you're in, the, in your Texas right now in the West, we have wildfires across uh, much of the nation, 115, 120 degree temperatures on a regular basis, but Republicans have refused to address climate change. It also is about the economy of the future, investing in things like electric cars, um, charging stations nationwide, the ability to uh, to have jobs of the future that aren't dependent on the fossil fuel industry and building pipelines. So Republicans support all of these things. The only thing they don't support is Joe Biden getting credit for doing it. So when it comes down to it, they've already bifurcated the bill where they'll have the hard infrastructure bill, uh, which is the one being negotiated now, and then also the soft infrastructure bill or the human infrastructure bill, which they can pass through reconciliation. That's the $3.5 trillion bill versus the $1 trillion, pack, uh, trillion dollar package. But the issue right now is getting the entirety of the Democratic caucus on board so they can pass the uh, uh, the human infrastructure bill um, through reconciliation. So you have to have cinema, you have to have Manchin. Why is Joe Manchin not necessarily on board with the bill? Because they invest heavily in green energy and he's from the number one coal state in the country. So we have to break through the coal lobby in order to get something like this done. So it's no longer just a question of will Republicans be recalcitrant when it comes to investing in the future. Now it's a question of how much power do uh, coal lobbyists and fossil fuel lobbyists have over some of the, even the Democratic senators when it comes to making the progress needed to turn America into a first world nation. Because look, I, I've been to Tokyo, I've been to Abu Dhabi, I've been to Dubai, I've been to Taiwan. We are no longer the leader of the world. We are way behind. We're so far behind, I think most people don't even understand how far behind we are when it comes to infrastructure. We're going to need an investment like this. And maybe we'll just pencil it into the Constitution that every 50 or 60 years, we make a massive investment in infrastructure to keep us ahead or even even with the rest of the world. <laughs> Let's go back to a live look at the floor of the United States Senate where they are voting to uh, a closure bill which will, uh, of course, um, uh, end uh, debate, if you will, to allow the bill to go forward. Uh, earlier today, uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer made it clear that this bill has been his priority uh, all month. That Bill. I believe we have the votes for that, and 
So uh, again, uh, I'm trying to move on this. Okay, fine. Uh, if you're able to, uh, if you're able to get this, uh, get this bill, if you're able to get this uh, infrastructure bill, Scott Bolton, uh, then it's going to put pressure on these Democrats to move on the voting bills. Scott, there. Sorry. Uh, Scott, uh, unmute, bill, dude. Seriously? Wait, say what now? <laughs> <laughs> unmute. Keep the doggone thing unmute. Well, okay. Anyway, on the infrastructure bill, they, they, they're banking on Republicans, which is why they've had these joint meetings with Republicans. And so I don't think it's going to be a very close vote. Even if they bifurcate the vote, they're going to have enough Republicans, hopefully, to be able to pass the infrastructure bill because there's enough in there for each of these states with the senators and the representatives to be able to go back home and tout. They may not want Biden to get the credit, but Republicans and Democrats want credit for bringing infrastructure needs to uh, their home jurisdiction. I mean, Robert, I can't tell whether you're for or against the infrastructure bill because you're right. We certainly do need it. At the same time, though, this is something we can get our arms around. We just haven't done it yet as Republicans and uh, Democrats. And so um, I don't know what pressure that lends itself to the Voting Rights Act because the Republicans don't see that Voting Rights Act as an issue that they can take credit for at home on the infrastructure bill. Uh, it, it's, it's a much different piece, and it's right consistent with what Robert said about them not wanting Biden to get any credit for the Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I've changed a little bit. This outside pressure, these arrests, these protests, you know, we've got to make Biden do what he promised to do because we're his leading constituent. And so I do think these worldwide protests or these countrywide protests and these arrests, but again, somebody's got to be in Biden's ear saying now is the time to do something about this, to bring this vote uh, to a head. So I like the infrastructure bill. It's got some good stuff in it for urban America and rural America. And I also think that it may put pressure, but we'll have to see how much pressure it puts on the Dems to do something about the Voting Rights Act. Because without the Republicans, we, we, we got a steep hill to climb. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, uh, but uh, the, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure. I was talking uh, with. Uh, yeah, but what do you do with that pressure? He said you again. Mark, 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 what do you do with the pressure? It's a, this is an inside no, game. No, 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 it's not. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. There's no such thing as it's only an inside game. It's an inside outside game. Either and you so got the, the purpose of the don't. external You're pressure. No, 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 Scott. No, Scott. 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 You're wrong. No, listen, Scott. Stop talking and I'll tell you. Listen. Here's the deal. On, on Sunday, on Sunday, you saw Virginia Senator Mark Warner come out and say that he now supports a narrow use of ending the filibuster. That's what he said on Sunday. Okay? That, that pressure's right. been working. It's not just Manchin and Cinema. You also have Coons. You also have Feinstein. And so the reason you have to ratchet it up, called... He has called members to the White House on infrastructure, but he has not done that on voting. This is where you have to force him to say, you've got to be far more aggressive. He has to specifically call Feinstein, Coons, Cinema, 
mansion and look them in the eye and say, I need these two voting, voting bills done. I need the filibuster ended specifically on this. That's why the pressure. You have to be a nuisance. Keep in mind, Dr. King understood LBJ saying one thing and doing another thing mm-hmm. are two separate things here. The right. same thing when it came to Kennedy. They knew they had to put the pressure. And so that's why we have been saying, Robert, that you're going to have to have folks chaining themselves to the White House fence. You're going to have to mm-hmm. have the constant pressure. You cannot have black civil rights organizations solely being at the table on the inside because if Biden feels that he gets no pressure externally, he's not going to move on the inside. Robert? Uh, Well, well, that's absolutely correct. And let's understand that uh, we've seen this again and again as African-Americans when it comes down to issues where black folks all of a sudden say, oh, dang, we just ran out of time. Uh, We'll get to you next time. We can't afford to do that again. We turned out in record numbers. We got out there. We elected Warnock and Ossoff. We turned Georgia uh, into a blue state. We competed nationwide. Nobody did that to hear, well, maybe we can get to it next time. I I think you you run the risk not only of allowing these uh, Republican voter suppression bills standing nationwide if you don't get the voter uh, voting rights, but also all those hotels, all those Tariq machines of the world out there uh, who say you don't need to be voting, voting doesn't matter, what are you black people getting from voting for the Democrats, what are the tangibles you get? Well, now they will have an absolute argument to say, see, I told you so. If you're not able to get voting rights in the, uh, uh, done in this uh, in this term, they're going to end up alienating many of those young voters who turned out for the first time in record numbers uh, if you're not able to get their agenda items done because they will simply say the system is so broken and so corrupt. It doesn't matter what we do. They're going to do what they do anyway. They're only going to go yeah. for the money and the corporate interest. They're going to go for the infrastructure bill because that lines everybody's pockets, but they're not going to do anything on voting. So this is a generational battle. You risk losing these voters for a generation, and that's how that MAGA movement ends up winning for decades to come because those people are intense. Those people that stormed the Capitol, you don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to show up and show out and be intense. Our base, you do have to worry about that, so we're not able to deliver for them. You risk alienating and losing that generation of young voters and African-Americans and Latino voters who turned out for this exact reason. Yeah, but you know, Robert, one of the things and, that and, really... And, 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 and hold, on, hold on, Scott, hold on, hold on. And, and, the, and the thing here is this here. What, what you have, what they are doing is, what Reverend Barber and others are doing is they're linking, they're not making this a D.C. issue. What they're saying is that what Republicans are doing in these states is impacting statewide policy. And so yeah. it goes beyond yeah. just D.C. It goes beyond just the election. Yeah. And so that's also how they're expanding the view on this. Go ahead. Yeah, here's the link, though, with the infrastructure bill. That is, perhaps Biden and others are leveraging in negotiations on the infrastructure bill for that voting rights bill that's going to come up next and going to put pressure no, they're on. Not. Maybe he's leveraged some of no, that in not. this bill. You don't think no, they're, they're leveraging any of that, that deal, making it contingent, no. parts of the uh, bill, contingent no. on support for the Voting no. Rights Act. Why not? No, they're not. Because they're not. But why not? Why isn't that a good political because strategy? Because they're not. Though? Well, well, I didn't yeah, say yeah. it was a good political strategy. You asked, why, you asked, are they doing it? I'm telling you, no, they're not. Yeah. Well, they should be uh, because there's a ton of money in that $1 trillion budget. And money and goods <laughs> and, and the beef in all of these jurisdictions is what makes people get reelected. I don't care whether Republican or Democrat. And, but, and, okay. And, 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 
And that and that and that and that's why what President Biden should be saying, unless you vote for the Four People Act and the John Lewis Act, I ain't sending the money. Yeah. Yeah. See exactly. that's how you do it, but that's not that's 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 not what's going that's on. Not, uh, I wanna talk now uh to a st- uh, yeah, but they, but that's not what's happened. I want to talk down to a student leader here uh, at Houston Tillerson uh, University uh, about uh, what's going on here because, it, it, and this this really is uh, important uh, because we've been talking about uh, students uh, and, and the impact uh, of these students. Uh, first of all, how you doing? What's your name? Jeffrey Clements. So Jeffrey, how's it going? I'm doing all right. It's hot out here. One, oh, it's not hot, man. Please. <laughs> This, 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 this is a spring day. So one of the points that I've been making uh, is that uh, if if you do not see action on the Fourth People Act and the John Lewis Act, it is going to cause a lot of young folks to say, why in the hell should I turn out in 2022 when you didn't do a damn thing with what the Democrat majority gave you in 2020? Your thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, I talk to young people every day. I'm a young person, obviously, and everyone's frustrated. Uh, We're tired of seeing the back and forth in Congress. We actually want to see them take action. Um, There's already tons of young people who are disenfranchised disenfranchised and disillusioned with the system um, and don't want to get involved in the first place. They came out in unprecedented numbers last year, and they came out for a reason. They came out to see action from our senators, from the Senate, and from the president. Um, So we didn't do that just on a whim. Uh, and so when you look at um, you, you look at the pressure that's being applied, when you look at uh, uh, the protests that are taking place, when you look at the daily the action every week uh, in D.C., um, uh, do you think that um, a younger generation is going to embrace that and be willing to engage? Because, because as Reverend Barber said, the issue is not just D.C. The bills that are being passed in these states beyond the voter suppression bill will impact the same group. Absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, Texas is ground zero, in my opinion, uh, for this voting rights battle uh, that we have. We have millions of people here, and we have millions of young people who, again, turned out to vote. Um, and they want to make sure that they uh, actually have that opportunity, continue to have that opportunity so they can voice their opinions. Uh, because the right to vote obviously trickles down uh, beyond just, you know, voting for a particular candidate to do something, but it actually affects schools like mine, Houston Tillotson. If you can't get representatives in office um, who are actually going to fund your institutions, who are going to support your institutions, um, then you don't, you don't have your institutions. You lose your community because of it. Um, what What would you say to a uh, Senator Christian Cinema, a Senator Joe Manchin, uh, or other Democrats who are holding out, uh, or even President Biden, when it comes to uh, being unwilling to get rid of the filibuster to pass these voting bills? What, what would you tell them? I would tell them that we're going to vote them out if they don't get it together. You know, we do have these midterms coming up next year. They have a razor-thin margin in both the Senate and the House. And if they're not willing to take action, then there are going to be a lot of people, young people who don't show up, and there's going to be a lot of young people who don't um, 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 don't want to vote for them um, or don't vote at all. One of the things that I, I was talking to Beto O'Rourke today, and he said that uh, President Joe Biden, uh, he needs uh, to specifically come to Texas yes. uh, to speak on the issue of voting rights. So, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, um, she went and spoke at Howard University. Uh, have y'all issued an invitation uh, to President Biden saying you should come to Houston Tillerson uh, and speak on the issue of voting rights? We would love to see President Biden here, and we're actually having an HBCU conference here in October, at the end of October. Uh, we would love for the Vice President to come and see what's going on here no, no, in no, Texas. No, 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 no. You need to invite the President. <laughs> no, 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 I'm serious. I'm yeah. not, you, need to, he, you need to make him uh, show up. Yeah, I mean, this is ground zero. They're talking about having a field hearing in Georgia. They need to have a field hearing in Texas. They they, they already had a field hearing. That was uh, last Monday in Georgia. 
All right. Well, they need to have one in Texas now. They need to come hear from people in Texas about how these laws are affecting them, how their representatives are not representing them, and why um, it's so important to pass for the people act right now. I say y'all drop that letter uh, and uh, send to have and say he needs, to, he needs to come to this campus. Uh, don't go to University of Texas. Don't go somewhere else. Tell him to come here. Yeah, please come here. You know, the Orange Cal School gets all, all the press anyways. So this is a beautiful campus. It's a great location to talk about this kind of thing. And, of course, and I don't give a damn about other <laughs> schools. So that's how, that's how it works. All right, then. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you all so right, much, Thanks a bunch. All right, you take care. Uh, all right, folks, uh, we are, uh, again, here at Houston Tillerson. Uh, we're waiting to see uh, this vote take place, uh, this vote uh, on the campus of Excuse me, in the United States Senate, uh, this closure vote uh, that they are discussing when it comes to the infrastructure bill, we're following that. Uh, in a moment, we're going to we're going to sit here and talk a bit uh, about uh, COVID, the CDC mask mask mandate. We'll also talk with uh, the uh, we'll also talk with John Carlos about athletes in protest. Can't wait to hear what he got to say about George Foreman and his comments on Fox News the other day, uh, as well as uh, Simone Biles uh, pulling out uh, of the uh, now the team chat of the all-around uh, in gymnastics, citing mental health. Got all of that coming up, so hold tight one second. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. That are trying to pass these bills across the country here in Texas to, yes, suppress, to stop, to undermine the vote. The same folk that block you from having living wages are the same folk same that wouldn't fix your utilities problem. In this time, when our voting rights are under attack and economic justice is being denied we're launching a season of nonviolent moral direct action to demand four things by august the 6th the 56th anniversary of the signing of the voting rights act number one end the filibuster number two pass all provisions of the for the people act fully restore the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Yeah. Yes. And number four, raise the federal minimum wage to fifteen dollars. Cast the for the people. That is the the last best hope for voting rights, not just in Texas, but Georgia, Florida, and about a dozen other states. Pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill and the For the People Act. Let our people vote. The Latinx community is the rising electorate in Texas, and our representatives are threatened by these shifting demographics. Our pathway to citizenship, to a living wage, depend on our access to the ballot. This is not just a black issue. That's right. This is a moral, constitutional, and economic democracy issue. Poverty is reinforced by public policy. And what happens in Texas, uh, as well as in America, we create policies that perpetuate poverty, and then we criminalize the poverty that we create. There's only so much we can take, and it's time for us to, to stand up and speak loudly against what's happening here. I think in Texas that it is time for a Selma-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think we ought to run from Georgetown to Austin. And we ought to come to Austin, but we ain't coming to Austin just for Austin. We come to Austin to save the Washington, D.C. Which side are you on? And don't tell us you can't do all of this. You must do all of this for the soul and the heart of this democracy. Forward together. Forward together. Forward together. Racial injustice is a scourge on this nation, and the black community has felt it 
No good has ever, no good has ever come out of it. I remember uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith. I don't know how dedicated they were, but they put on a demonstration that's still talked about. It was so great that the world saw it, and they went down to Germany and killed those kids representing Israel. That's what a uh, demonstration will get you. It shouldn't be in sports. Should take it out. Let uh, let us go over there and have a good time. And stay out of politics because it's a dangerous thing. You know, and, and the thing is, in the end, if the ratings keep, you know, plummeting the way that. So, um, I'm confused here. So, John, you and Tommy are the reason that the Israeli athletes were shot and killed? Well, that's his. That's, that's his philosophy. You know, I never had a chance to discuss any of this with George. Uh, you know, so I don't want to make too much comments on what he said other than to say that, uh, you know, if he's talking about what we did was brought politics into the games. I think he brought politics into the games when he raised the flag, when he waved the flag and ran around the ring. I think that was apolitical. Uh, my statement didn't bring any harm. It was a nonviolent statement. And for him to say that we don't have the right or we shouldn't have the right to make a statement relative to humanity, uh, George is out of sync. And I wish George would, you know, talk to me before he just go and make blanking statements. See, the, the, the thing that bugs me the most uh, about this, John, uh, is when I, when I hear these folks make these comments, when I especially listen to these white conservatives, when I listen to people like George Foreman make these comments, they are completely and wholly ignorant of the reality of politics playing a role. I'm sorry. Did we not skip the 1980 Olympic Games in the Soviet Union? Absolutely. Did, did we protest the 80 Games? Uh, have we not had calls before? I, I, mean, I mean, haven't have we had other examples of nations um, uh, in, infusing politics into into the game. So this idea, and not only that, in professional sports, you've got these mainly conservative owners who invite politicians, governors and presidents, members of Congress to sit in their suites uh, for the games. Is that not politics? Well, politics only applies when they say black people apply politics to whatever the equation is. See, they don't see themselves doing this. These are good Christian, honest Americans that's making these statements. It's only the blacks and the, those that are supposed to be downtrodden. Those individuals, when they get up and make a statement about humanity or make a statement about racism, make a statement about poverty, then they're out of line and they're, and they're talking politics. They're bringing politics into the games. The games are politics in itself for the simple reason that if you sat back and said, well, why don't we have one Olympic flag to represent all the nations? And if you want to put your logo from your country on your sweatsuit, you can have a little logo there. But why do we have every national flag playing throughout the stadium? That's politics in itself. All of the way the individuals receive the games is politically orientated. So for them to say that we brought politics to the games or we brought that tragedy that took place in, in Munich to the games is absurd. And, and I say once again, I would like Mr. Foreman to get down and sit down and have some discussion with me before he just go and make blanket statements to make it look like he's not awake in this life that we have. 
Well, see, Tommy, I, I think what you're also dealing with here, you're dealing with, to your point about uh, black athletes, uh, also, I, I just think that they can't stand when an athlete chooses to use their voice and platform to speak to issues. That's what angers them. They don't mind it when the officials do it. No, it's a, it's a double standard amongst the athletes as well. I can give you one in particular. Uh, in 1968, when uh, the three individuals made the statement on the victory stand, it was another young lady from Czechoslovakia that made a political statement on the victory stand because she was disenchanted with Russia invading her country, which I don't blame her for making that statement, but they chose not to penalize her for what we did. You know, when you sit back and think about individuals uh, that was in Munich in 72 that was on the stand twirling their medals. Felt like they didn't owe allegiance to anyone because didn't anyone help them get there where they were. Then they had a white individual, uh, which is another good friend of mine that was on the victory stand. He was out of protocol. He had his hat on. He was spinning around like a top when he was playing the national anthem. Was no criticism whatsoever towards him. So there is a distinct double standard. And this double standard goes so far as the rings that they host the Olympic Games. You sit back and think about a double standard relative to now when you sit back and say just about every nation is host to games, but the nation of Africa. Why is that the, the, the centerpiece of the Olympic rings and they've never host the games? That seems like it's biased and prejudice. They said at one time, while well, they're not capable of doing it, they can't handle something of that task. But yet and still, they handled the World Cup soccer, which is the next thing to the games. Uh, when the South Africa applied to host the games, they were rejected right away and kicked up under the table. So we have vehement prejudice, bias, and segregation going on within the Olympic movement. Uh, John, let's, uh, I do want an opportunity. Uh, let's talk about uh, your John Carlos collection with Actively Black. Uh, here is, uh, they go to my iPad, please. Uh, this is a photo on their Actively Black uh, page. Uh, so talk about this clothing line that, that you've launched in partnership uh, with Actively Black. Well, I was, first of all, let me just say I was honored to be able to work with a black company, you know, to see it in, in its inception, to take part and to help it to grow, to grow with it, to have black people have confidence that they can rely on their own textiles, they can rely on representing themselves. Uh, that's why I pushed it. As well as my 53rd anniversary of Mexico City, I felt it was appropriate that I would come and do a spinoff from my demonstration and come out with a black clothesline relative to my history in the Olympic Games. Uh, John, before I let you go, I do want to get your thoughts on Simone Biles, uh, her decision uh, to uh, stop performing, uh, citing uh, mental health. Uh, you've got uh, a lot of folks upset, especially a lot of these white conservative men angry, calling her a traitor. The, te the Texas Deputy Attorney General blasted her, and she's a Texan, but Clearly, these people don't understand that what she said was, if you're going up in the air and you're, if your mind is not into it, you could literally kill yourself with the kind of acrobatic moves that she makes. Absolutely right. Break your neck. But see, you have to realize that she's not just a Texan. She's a black Texan. So, you know, that gives no credibility to her at all. This is the things that we're fighting for now, fighting against right now. But yet still relative to the complexity of her activities. The general public don't know. All they know is that here's a young girl, regardless of her health or mental health or any other health that she might have, that doesn't even stand a chance to be reconciled in their minds and say, well, the young lady had a mental issue or the young lady had a physical issue. 
it doesn't matter just the mere fact that she's a black individual that didn't meet their dreams and their expectations. America sometimes remind me of the mom and dad at the Pop Warner Little League baseball game, you know, where they just so excited. They want to be on the sidelines fighting the referees and fighting everybody opposed to letting their kids get out there and play. Uh, they want to run, and this is not 1968. This is 2021. It's a new day. And they're going to have to realize that what they're doing in the International Olympic Committee and those conservatives out there, they're tearing the Olympics apart because pretty soon they're going to have to start getting their kids ready. They're sending their kids out to train in the rain, sending their kids to shovel snow so they can get out there to train to represent America. Because black people are getting to the point where they're tired of going in there, like, like going to the war. We go to the war, and when we come home from the war, it's worse for black people as it was before they went to the war. When you go to the Olympic Games, you see this is the largest nation in the world, Fortune 500. I've seen smaller countries, they athletes go to the Olympic Games, they come back, they get them a house, they get them a job, they get them something. Many, many, many athletes down the line, we have a track record that has gone to the Games, represent this country violently, vehemently, uh, and then at the same time, they come on, man, they don't even have a job. We go to Europe and represent America for three months out of the year during the summer. We get back, they think that somebody held up our bills and said, oh, cancel them bills because they're representing America. No, when you get home, them bills are staring you in the face. There's no help for you. And then when you cry about it or when you raise hell about it, then they want to tell you, you you running the pity game. You running the black game. Ain't no pity game, ain't no black game, it's reality. It's a double standard that needs to stop. And every black man, every black woman, every child should raise their voice about it and let them know enough is enough and it's time to step up. Stop being so meek and so mild. Step up in their face and let them know that I'm not going to put up with this shit no more. All right, John Carlos. Folks, you can get uh, his collection at activelyblack.com. It's A-C-T-I-V-E-L-Y Black. John, thank you very much. Thank you, Roland. Have a great day. God bless. Yes, sir. Thank you very, thank you very much. All right, folks, I want to now bring up uh, Robin May. She's a licensed clinical psychologist. Uh, uh, and, and Robin, uh, glad to have you on the show. I'm going to bring in Robert and Scott as well on, on this conversation. Because, you know, we, we saw uh, Naomi Osaka. Uh, make it clear yes. that she wasn't going to be doing interviews, talking about her her, her mental uh, uh, situation. Now you have Simone Biles, this huge stage. I mean, the greatest uh, gymnast of all time, step away. And and the thing that, that, that I thought was amazing for the people who are Cuban criticizing her, not realizing that she said, if I did not step away, I could have actually cost the other girls, the other yes. young women, a chance at a medal. So her decision was indeed courageous because had she stayed in it and failed, then they could have not won the silver or the bronze and went home with no medal. Absolutely. Talk about what it required for her, the level of strength for her to say in the, the biggest moment with sponsors and everybody watching, I got to step away. Roland, can I tell you, first of all, thank you so much for having me, but can I tell you that this has sparked such an, such an amazing opportunity for me as I am raising three daughters, two of them who are gymnasts, so you know this is a personal conversation with me, because what she showed us, what Simone taught all of us, even me as a very grown 
mental health. We talk a good game about self-care. There's a difference between self-care and soul care. That's a whole nother conversation. But we talk a good game about it, but when the rubber hits the road, many of us, and I'm going to be the first to admit, I have even sacrificed things because I wanted to appease others. This young woman literally just taught the world what it means to put blinders on. Many of us know that when a horse is in a race, the jockey puts blinders on the horse so the horse isn't distracted by everything going on around it. When I tell you Simone just taught us how to put blinders on and to pay attention to whether or not what I am doing, whether or not this is still serving me in the capacity that it was before. She was so courageous that she was willing to sacrifice her opportunity to make sure her teammates did well. I actually saw someone say, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I should not be shocked. But I saw a um, commentator say that she was a sociopath. I couldn't believe it, simply because she prioritized herself. As a former gymnast myself, I hate to tell everybody, I was going to stay humble, but I'm going to go ahead and say, I am the state floor champion at 12 years old in Texas. So as a former gymnast myself who never rose to that level, she literally made the decision to save her life. She made a decision to save her life. And what we are seeing, go ahead. And, and, and the thing here, uh, there was a tweet that was sent out where one person said, y'all don't understand, this woman has performed uh, on the world stage with broken toes. She has fought through significant injuries. And when Simone, when Simone Biles said that this, she was not uh, placing other people in front of her, which she did before, uh, she said she yes. could have easily said, oh, I'm going to remain strong. But we also got to remember it. She 24. We're not, I mean, we literally are not talking, we're not talking about somebody who's 30 or 35 and 40. She's 24. She's 24 and she's even competed rolling with kidney stones. Like at this point, her legacy has already been set. Well before she got on the plane to go to the Olympics, her legacy was well set. And so she has to stand assured in that. But I will say this. I, I want to make sure I say this point because this is a conversation I'm having with my daughters um, after they saw what happened with Simone. We have taught a principle, and this often shows up in my work with clients. We've taught a principle of don't quit, don't quit, no matter what, don't quit. And I love the idea of the principle, but it cannot be taught in isolation because at some point, you have to step back and say, does the risk outweigh the reward? There is no gold medal that is worth her life or even worth her being paralyzed for the rest of her life. And so while we teach the concept of don't quit, I think we need to expand that to make sure we're asking the right questions. Does the risk still outweigh the reward? Is this causing me to compromise my values? If we take it into our world, most of us, if we're working at a job, there comes a point where we have to step back and say, is this job still serving me? And if it isn't, we have to make the right decision. So yes, we want to teach our children to go strong, not to give up. But we also want to teach them how to ask the right questions as they make their own life decisions. Uh, Robert Patillo, uh, I want to uh, show something. Uh, this was a tweet that was sent out uh, by uh, Eric Erickson. Uh, he is uh, a, a conservative uh, radio talk show host there out of, uh, uh, don't, don't go to the iPad yet, folks. I'm trying to find the tweet. Uh, so come back to me. 
uh, this is the thing uh, he said, um, Robert, and I'm paraphrasing here. He said that uh, based upon what he heard and learned, uh, he said, I'm paraphrasing, he said that clearly Simone Biles made the best decision for her teammates, and that's what's most important. In fact, he just sent out another tweet that I thought was interesting. He said, I've never heard Simone Biles say or do anything disrespectful to America or her people. I've never seen her take a knee. She's always been grateful for her victories. I will not throw her under the bus for making what had to be a very tough decision. Uh, it is quite, it's, I'm sorry, that's, uh, that's my, my apology. That's Bo Smirtley, Bo Snertley, uh, who to work on Rush Limbaugh's uh, radio show. Eric Erickson retweeted that. It is amazing, Robert, to listen uh, to these arrogant, yes, bitch-assness men, white men, like Clay Travis, like Buck Sexton, like Charlie Kirk, and like Pierce Morgan, condemn this woman because she did not bring them satisfaction for winning a gold medal for America. And not just Simone Biles. Let's look at what happened to Kyrie Irving last season where he took time off for mental health issues. Uh, there were commentators in the media saying he quit on the Nets and he should be uh, released. He should, he should retire from the league. Shouldn't be allowed to play anymore. We've seen this happen through, uh, throughout. We have to get rid of this separation between uh, mental health and health. Mental health and health are the same damn thing. I want folks to understand this. This is part of the reason that we have so many issues in the black community when it comes to mental health, because we, we for some reason, think a sprained ankle is different than having a mental health crisis. They are, they are both injuries. They both have to be taken care of. They both need to be treated by professionals. There is no distinction between the two. So when someone says they are having a mental health issue, they are having a health issue. We've seen this consistently in sports. Um, you can look at... Um, Ben Simmons in the NBA Finals. There came a point uh, when my Hawks were beating them down that he got afraid to shoot. He was six foot ten under the basket and wouldn't even do a layup because he was having mental health issues and was destroyed in the media. We saw there was Chuck Knobloch when he played for the Yankees, just completely forgot how to throw to first base, had to change positions. Rick, uh, Rick Ankiel was a, center, uh, was a pitcher for St. Louis. He had to play center field because he couldn't throw it across the plate anymore. It's been consistent that this is part of sports. This is part uh, uh, of uh, any athlete athlete's uh, uh, professional career. And so when you break it down and take away that line between mental health and health, you realize that she did what was best for herself and for her teammates uh, for and, frankly, for America by doing this because the selfish thing to do would be to go out there knowing that you're not 100%, knowing that you are not in a position to help your team and still doing it out of vanity, still doing it out of narcissism, still doing it because you want to secure your legacy even further beyond being the greatest of all time. You want to take it to the Tom Brady level of putting it out of reach for anyone to ever touch it again. That is the wrong thing to do and what we need to teach people to not be doing. So these people who can't even touch their toes or do a backflip or get out of a chair without rocking three times who want to criticize her for being a quitter somehow, I mean, they have to reevaluate the way that they see mental health versus health issues. And let's look at the way athletes have treated this in the past because we do, did come from generations that told us, well, you know, suck it up, fight through it. This is why so many athletes in past generations ended up being alcoholics, drug addicts, who criticized Doc uh, uh, Gooden and Daryl Strawberry and so many other players for succumbing to drugs and alcohol. But guess what? Many of them were treating mental health issues the only way that they could because they didn't want to be seen as a quitter on their team. So we have to change the conversation around this, put our arms around people, support them, and help them get through these issues. And, and look, if, if a fat person tells me anything about sports, I don't want to hear it. So 
you know, Buck Sexton or whoever these other people are, until I see them on a balance beam, I want to hear what they have to say about Simone Biles. Scott, it's amazing to look at the, the, the arrogance of people. Uh, and again, we're not the ones uh, who are uh, uh, tumbling uh, in the air, uh, flipping. Uh, we're not the ones who could, who could be paralyzed if you make a misstep. Uh, it's her. Yeah, and the people who are criticizing her, I, I think Robert is right, but the people that are criticizing her want her to perform as if she's got to perform and required to perform because she's representing uh, the USA uh, in the Olympics. Let me tell you something. Have you really watched what this young woman does in the air? I mean, she describes it as getting the twisties. That means essentially losing your sense of balance or where you are as you're twisting and flipping better than anyone else, higher than anyone else. I mean, she's doing things in the air that the Olympics can't even rate her on. And so when she gets the twisties, you're right. She could seriously injure herself if she falls on her face or her back and what have you. And so it's just nonsense for those who, who criticize her. They're just being selfish. But, you know, they're confusing mental toughness, right? Because part of being a superstar, yeah. we talk about mental toughness and physical toughness and physical attributes. At the same time, though, there's a fine line with it's okay not to be okay, which is what Michael Phelps said about this. It's okay not to be okay, right? And she's courageous and she wants her team to do well. But listen, I don't care what profession you're in, right? Whether it's media broadcasting, whether it's making an oral argument in court, there's some days when you can't go. It doesn't have to be a professional athlete, right? If I get the twisties and I got an oral argument to make and I can't go, if I got a partner who can do better and doesn't have the twisties, then he's got to go because the client is the most important thing and we have to put our best performer out there. I remember Johnny Cochran said the hardest thing for him to do in the O.J. Simpson trial was not to cross-examine Furman. He spent his whole life fighting police brutality and racism and yet he knew what was best for the client was that uh, F. Lee Bailey would do that cross versus him because he knew he wasn't right and he wasn't mentally in the right mental state to do it because it would have been overwhelming for him given his passion for, um, for civil rights. And so uh, I applaud her, actually. And this debate in the media is just the debate. Uh, her health is most important. Got She's it. probably bigger, better, brighter, and stronger because of it. So God bless her. Robin May, final comment, please. You know, I really think the bottom line is, if we really think about what's really happening, Simone basically exposed the reality of how many people are frustrated because they would not have had the courage to do what she did. I think that's the bottom line. When you find yourself having this intense of a reaction from something that went on with someone right. else, it really exposes what you were right. unwilling to do in your own sphere of influence. And so the bottom line is when it comes specifically to mental health, because that's my lane, when it comes specifically to that, I think she is a poster child of what it looks like to be well. You can't just talk it. You have to walk it. Yeah. All right, Robin May, we should appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you. All right, folks, got to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the CDC reinstituting a mask mandate. Boy, why are these conservatives losing their minds? That's next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting from the gorgeous campus of Houston Tillerson.
Bob Bishop, TDJ. Hi, I'm doing it's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. Uh, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. University in in Austin, Texas, and so we're glad to be here. Uh, seeing, of course, uh, the folks uh, here, they've been hosting us, uh, and we certainly appreciate it. Uh, it's always great uh, to be on an HBCU campus, and we thank them uh, for joining us here. Uh, we had the president, of course, and one of the students uh, as well. Uh, you heard us talk to the president uh, who said, uh, you know, they've been impacted uh, by COVID-19 here on Houston Tillerson on the campus. Uh, they're going to have students returning to the university uh, in, uh, uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. And now we're back with a new CDC mask mandate which really should have been the old one, but folks were so uh, hardcore about trying to uh, get back to business as normal, when, even, even though we've been trying to tell y'all uh, there was no such thing as business as normal. Uh, this Delta variant has really changed uh, a lot of things, and it has people now saying if you're going to be even indoors and you're vaccinated to wear a mask. Joining us right now, uh, we've had him on the show before, uh, Dr. Georges Benjamin. Uh, he's been on the show before. Uh, glad to have him back. Um, he, of course, uh, works uh, in the uh, healthcare industry. We had him on a lot last year. He's executive director of the American Public Health Association. Glad to have him here. Doc, the thing that is, is, is a trip to me is, there's no flip side to death. And I keep saying that. <laughs> you have these people who are so adamant, these people who would say, oh, you know, I'm not trying to get sick. Now you have people who are begging for a vaccine because they're in the hospital. I saw a story the other day, a 24-year-old guy needs a double lung transplant, and his mom is now telling everybody, please don't do like my son did, make fun of this vaccine, uh, and then uh, desperately need it. Uh, but this, the CDC, some are saying that the CDC is giving conflicting information. I saw an interview where Dr. Anthony Fauci said no. He said the problem is the Delta variant is what changed, not the CDC. Your assessment of this new mask mandate this and what's going on? Yeah. Let me just tell, tell, tell your listeners, Roland. Uh, by the way, it's good to see you again. This vaccine um, is important, and this, this new Delta variant is no joke. It is highly infectious, more infectious than the original virus, and that's why they're saying, look, we need to take a step back. We need to wear that mask, which you know is protective, but at the end of the day, this pandemic is now in the communities of people that are unvaccinated. And that's the fundamental problem. At this point, it's get vaccinated or get COVID. And COVID, as you can see, is very serious. And it's now impacting not only the um, folks that are unvaccinated, but unvaccinated young people are getting this disease. So it, it's very serious. And the CDC, I think, did the right thing by pointing out the fact that not only does it infect um, people who are unvaccinated, but even infects a small number of people who are vaccinated who can then spread it to others. And so the what they're trying to do is trying to get ahead of the curve here and just protect us all. Well, and I think that 
and when you see these numbers explode in Arkansas, and Mississippi, uh, Alabama, Louisiana, uh, and, and and we're seeing. I mean, I saw I posted one or retreated one. This one doctor, I think, it was in Arkansas, who said uh, every ICU in the state and in four neighboring states are completely filled. No, no question about it. Look, twenty-two percent of the new cases are in Florida alone. Um, and about 40% of the new cases uh, for those five states you just mentioned, Florida, uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, Missouri, and um, um, Nevada. So we know these are also states which have very low vaccination rates. And in fact, you know, half of the counties in our country still have vaccination rates less than 40%. So we have a lot of work to do because this is a very dangerous strain of this virus. Yeah, but I thought everybody was hailing Governor Ron DeSantis for being showing leadership when it came to dealing with COVID. Not me. <laughs> As you know, I've been I've been highly critical of, of many of the things that have happened in Florida um, at, at the leadership level, not necessarily at the health department level. Although I know they've been struggling to try to to try to deal with the the, the challenges of um, really policies that don't make no sense. How, how do you have such a big outbreak? and say that even private businesses can't um, require people to wear a mask or can't require people to be vaccinated. That makes absolutely no, no common sense. And I don't know how some of these communities have lost common sense. Um, it's just beyond me. And I, you know, as a physician, I only care about their health. I don't want to get into the politics of it. Um, but at the end of the day, this has become a very political and politicized disease, and that has to end or people are going to die. Uh, questions. Scott Bolden, you first for Dr. George Benjamin. Yeah, hey, Doc. Scott Bolden here. The Delta variant, we weren't as impressed with it, let's say, one to three months ago. We knew it was in Europe and, and Asia and other parts and stuff. If I now have to wear a mask and I've been vaccinated, Will there come a time where I will need a booster shot for my vaccination for, to join my original vaccination uh, if this uh, Delta variant begins to spread more? Yes, Scott, thank you. Yeah, you know, this, this, we've watched this, unfortunately, this virus grow. And we had anticipated that people would get more people would get vaccinated uh, and that it would that would bring it to a screeching halt. But that did not happen. Uh, and so now we're having to deal with this particular variant, which is highly infectious. And the answer is, it's possible that we may need a booster shot. But I got to tell you, it may not be for this Delta variant. Because one of the things I am more concerned about is the fact that as this virus spreads from person to person, we may develop a homegrown variant of um, an American variant of this virus, which will escape, totally escape the vaccine. Uh, and then we'll all have to be revaccinated. And so it's possible we'll need boosters down the line because there is some, some talk about that. Wow. We're not there yet. But I'm more worried about the virus that's going to follow de Delta because people aren't paying attention to it. Well, how does that happen, if I may, Roland? How does that happen? And how does this variant attack our bodies different than the original one, well, the original pathogen? So let's just understand that every time you get infected by a virus, it makes copies of itself. And it doesn't make one wow. or two copies of itself. It makes millions of copies of itself. Wow. And sometimes when it makes copies, it makes mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes make it more virulent. 
meaning it makes it more dangerous, and sometimes it makes it less virulent. In this case, it made a virus that is more transmissible, and either way, the way I like to think about it is it sticks to your body tissues more readily. And in doing so, that means it can go into your body easier. And when that happens, it can, it can reproduce much more quickly, make more copies of itself. And the more copies it makes of itself and the more it sticks to your body, the more likely it is to infect other people when you come in contact with them. So think of it wow. as being contagious. Um, even though you're vaccinated, um, you can, with this new virus, this new strain, in a small subset of people, it attaches to their body so tightly that it reproduces itself. Um, it, it still doesn't make those people real sick if you're vaccinated, but it does still allow those people to contaminate others. And if you're totally unvaccinated, you get, um, you know, you can clearly make other people really sick as well as yourself. Uh, thank you. Rob Portillo. Uh, my question is about vaccine hesitancy, particularly uh, as it relates to the African-American community. I, I feel like we, as a uh, as communicators, we could have be- done a better job of explaining the vaccine and what to expect to the uh, to the community at large to try to quell some of these concerns. People have the concerns saying, well, it was developed so fast. No, it wasn't. We've been working on uh, coronaviruses for the last 20 years uh, in developing a vaccine or explaining exactly how an mRNA vaccine works uh, compared to other sorts of vaccines. What do you think the community can do better to communicate uh, the nature of the vaccine and its effectiveness to individuals who are still hesitant to ameliorate some of these concerns and raise uh, vaccination levels? Yeah, Robert, we need to do exactly what you did. Actually, hold on, Doc. Doc, Before you answer that, let me, I'll preface this before he answers that. The federal government needs to make sure that the ad agency that is sending all this money out is spending it with black-owned media. Here's the problem. Yep. They just sent all this money out to all these different people, largely ignore black-owned media, where we could have been able to doing a lot more specials, could have been on the ground. Doc, I can tell you, my folks, we, we submitted a plan for us to actually do micro-targeting, going to specific cities, specific neighborhoods, mm-hmm. broadcasting our show, bringing the experts there, could not get them, them funded. Yet we saw the ad agency spend millions of dollars. And, they, and, and the phrase that was used was uh, spray and pray, that just throw it all over the place and pray it works. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, what's going on? And, so, and I'm telling you, so that's part of the deal. And black groups were grossly underfunded when it came to COVID. And then it's like, oh, can you please come and save our ass? And that's always been a problem. Go ahead, Doc. You, you, no, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Look, I've been, in, I've been doing public health since 1990. I was a health commissioner in Washington, D.C. And you know how we got to the to the black community? Um, obviously, even in D.C., which which is, you know, predominantly um, African-American city at that time, we went to radio. We got people banging on doors. We went into communities. We, we put ads into um, African-American newspapers. Um, we uh-huh. went and talked to people in the hood. And this is not rocket science. This is not something that is a new revelation. So everything you said about the importance of not only using the right messages and the right messengers um, in terms of people, but you also have to right, have the right messengers that are the communications vehicles that people listen to. Because I can tell you, I don't listen to um, many of the same radio stations or TV, watch the same TV stations 
or even be on the same social media networks that um, many other communities that don't look like me are on. So you're absolutely right about that. And we should have done this earlier. We should have had a much more targeted mm. conversation about communication. The whole issue about um, the fact that this is not, um, this is a, a vaccine that has been put together and researched very quickly um, because of this new virus. But we actually know that, as you said, for over 19 years, we've been, we've been researching coronavirus vaccines and using mRNA vaccines in our studies for Ebola and the flu and other diseases. And, you know, not a comprehensive communications plan. And we've all been critical of that. Mm. Well, bottom line is this here. Uh, it's, uh, look, I will show you the priorities where they spend the money. And I'm telling you, that's been part of the problem. And so now they're trying to play catch up. Uh, and, and, and we, and Doc, the thing that's frustrating, my team gave a detailed plan and we said we want to target southern states where our people are, especially in rural areas. Yep. And again, yep. they chose to spend this money. And, and, and this is what happens when, when you got front black targeted media, they want to spend the money on BET and complex because all oh, they reach African-Americans online. Guess what? It's a whole bunch of black people. And look, this is a digital show who are not sitting here on these social media websites. They're not doing that. You got to be able to touch them. You got to be able to talk to them. Uh, and that's yeah. the whole deal. And so hopefully, and so we want, we want our people, folks, we want y'all safe. We want y'all uh, living. We, we want y'all, mm -hmm. you know, to really be a part of this. And just, and it's just don't please uh, Doc, I want you to close, close this out. Uh, just give people a direct plea so they understand uh, what's going on. I, I want everybody to get vaccinated because if you get vaccinated, you won't get COVID. Um, in such, you won't get COVID. Um, you won't get sick and die from COVID. That's the important thing. Right. Get vaccinated right. or get don't get serious COVID. And then wear a mask. Um, particularly if you're in a hot zone, because if you, do, if you do that, it will help, but you still need to get vaccinated. And we now also recommend that everyone working in a school, K to 12, now is vaccinated you know, while you're indoors, because we think that's very important to protect our kids. By the way, our young kids are not yet eligible to be vaccinated, and that's why they want everybody to wear a mask. <clears throat> All right. Dr. Benjamin, we so appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Rolling, anytime you need me, just call me. All right, will do, will do. Uh, folks, um, it is, uh, uh, that. that's actually it for us. Uh, it is uh, uh, been quite a busy time here uh, in Texas, Robert uh, and Scott. Uh, we're going to keep uh, pressing the issue, uh, not worrying about...